This podcast is brought to you from our friends at Tinkata Protective Fabrics, Emergency Networking, MagnaGrip, and IFSTA. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to this month's Hump Day Hangout with the International Society of Fire Service Instructors. Um, Brian Zeitz to be kind of hosting this this month. Um, we've got a good topic today. Uh, we're going to be talking, of course, training. And well, it wouldn't be ISFSI if we weren't talking training. So we're going to be talking about recruit training and uh, some of the pitfalls associated with the current level of recruit training. And so uh, with no further ado, I'm going to introduce uh, the panel we got today. Uh, you know, we always seem to be able to pull out the top notch, which is the ISOSI. And, and so no shortfall this month. We got uh, Chief Eddie Buchanan, retired Chief Eddie Buchanan, I guess you'd say. Uh, Chief Steve Shaw from Fort Lauderdale. Always beautiful, except for this month. We don't have the beautiful uh, picture window to look out this month. So and then uh, Chief uh, Jesse Marcotte from up in the uh, Michigan, uh, Detroit suburb, uh, Metro area, Northville Township. So um Get right into this. Uh, let me start by thanking Fire Engineering for the opportunity again this month to uh, do this show. Um, it's always a great opportunity uh, for us to kind of share our thoughts on training and discuss uh, relevant topics that are facing the uh, fire service instructor and training. So looking forward to that. Um, also give a shameless plug. FDIC registration, I believe, is open. So go ahead and get out there, uh, get your, uh, your pre-registration and uh, pre-hotel, all that stuff done. Uh, because as we all know, it'll be here before we know it <laughs> and it'll be April and we had an FDIC and Indy again. So um, all that said, it'll be awesome. So, uh, so I was just thinking maybe we just start with talking about what recruit training looks like in your area, your organization, and then kind of build on that for the day. So Jesse, you want to start? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for the opportunity to be here. This is absolutely by far one of my favorite topics. And I, I also think one of the most important topics in today's fire service. So our, our recruit training over the last several years, decade plus has really evolved, right? So in about 15 years ago, we implemented a mentoring and coaching program, a formal one-to-one -one pairing to really um, accelerate learning, right? And, and building relationships, which is, improves camaraderie and morale and all these other things. But it's, it's to the point now where it's really evolved from this like four phase, very traditional type program to a program that is just two phases. And our, our two phases are the coaching phase and the mentoring phase. So our coaching phase is a um, is a, a shortened academy. Everybody that's coming here is already certified. So it's not a certification-based 40-hour period. It is more of an oper operational readiness, acclimating to our organization 40-hour phase. So that's a four to six-week program that is really focused on the, the fundamentals of providing coaching. And that coaching is is geared a lot towards uh, the development of technical skills. So people still, they understand uh, the basics in terms of firefighter one and firefighter two certification, but it's learning how to do that and apply those skills using our equipment, our policies, our procedures, and so on. And uh, after that four to six weeks, they move into a what we refer to as the mentoring phase, which is the final phase of their probation. Um, that begins with a preceptor period where for roughly one month, they're working as um, somebody who's not manpower and they're satisfying the remainder of, of their task books, whether it's their firefighter task book, driver operator or paramedic task book. And then upon that, their mentor signs off 
um, that they've achieved that status and they, they move into the manpower status. So for the rest of that probationary period, they are uh, they basically just work directly with their mentors who are that the conduit or the ambassador uh, to some extent of our department and the conduit from the their day one through um, the end of their probation. And, and what we see a lot of times is the mentors end up becoming really good friends with the people that they're mentoring and, uh, and that exchange works both ways. So that's in a nutshell um, what our probationary program looks like currently at the Norfolk Township Fire Department. Nice. Very in-depth. I like that. I, I like the idea of the, the mentor partnership. You know, sometimes we lose sight of that um, as, as a new firefighter coming on the job, even though they have experience. So Chief Shaw down there in Fort Lauderdale, what are you guys, uh, what's your plan? What are you guys doing? Well, as Jesse was saying, yeah, for me, it, it's also one of my, my passions. I've been being involved with the, the training bureau for about 10 years now at various different ranks and, and, and uh, positions you get to see things from uh, multiple perspectives and have watched the training bureau and staff and the content just grow and evolve and, and strengthen over time to where the end product is you're they're producing a pretty pretty strong standard of an employee when they're done with our our, our process um for us in florida you, you're they're, you're pretty much coming into the fire service with um most of the time you definitely your your minimum standards your your uh your fire and at least emt if not a paramedic uh, we've just started playing with the idea of now hiring EMTs again, which is something we haven't done in the South Florida area for some time. But with recruitment and retention cha uh, challenges, we have to be very creative. And we're, we're in, in our current process right now, we've actually, for the first time in a long time, opened it up to EMTs as well. So our process is a pretty, pretty robust process, say it lightly. Over the first year, uh, they got on and um, the training bureau puts them through 10 weeks of rigorous training. And that includes everything, EMS fire, a little smattering of special ops, um, familiarization with the, the system as a whole. It is absolutely trying for the individual as well as the training bureau staff. There's a lot that they're responsible for. Uh, but the good thing is we got a lot of support from our, our upper, up and ups to give us those people that, that we need to have there to have that first impression matter. Um, the goal is to have them uh, aggressive and just excited about whatever comes along whatever the tone, whatever tones drop we want them excited and ready to and be just ready to go at a moment's notice um our goal is to make them a firefighter ready once they get off those 10 weeks so that on the truck they are ready to go as a firefighter fort lauderdale firefighter and then the rest of that year is a enhancement of their ems uh, progression in terms of the paramedic and that's a whole internship we call it an internship because basically it's a pretty robust paramedic process as well um we also do a six and 11 month test and evaluations that are pretty comprehensive. And, um, and I, we also established a mentor program as well. So during that process, we assign each person with a mentor on the job that gives them that not so official background, um, ear, to, ear to, to listen to, shoulder to cry on, um, interpreter of what's going on and whatnot. So uh, that's pretty much how it looks in Fort Lauderdale. Um, having been part of the training bureau at a county level, it seems like in, the, in, in my area, it's pretty common for there to be at least a two or a four to six week uh, training class, if not more. But we're very lucky and fortunate to have those 10 weeks to really mold these employees. Because as we all know, the training bureau is the first impression they get. It's the first impression. They, they set the culture. They set the standard. They set what they should be going into the fire service. So we're very, very particular about who goes into that training bureau and very proud of what they do. But um, the last thing I'll say about this is just looking back what they do now compared to like when many of us started, I, I, even I'm like, my God, they're, they're responsible for a lot. 
but it comes to the territory as a all response agency, right? So that that's just a snapshot of kind of what we do. Yeah, you know, there was some things I took out of that, like the excitement. I think that's the you know part of that culture is is you know you're getting the opportunity to be a firefighter. It's not like hey, I just you know, it's an opportunity. It's not you know not given to you. It's an opportunity that you've been afforded. Um, and to your point, the people nowadays. I remember you know even when I went through med school, it was a year. And my uncle, who's a paramedic, uh, retired now. It was like three weeks, you know. And he was one of the first medics in the state. Was actually worked in Jacksonville, Florida. And I mean, it was like a three-way program, you know, back in 1974. And it's just like it's. And now you look at it from what it is now. So, Chief Buchanan, what about you? So, what says uh, sure. what says you about recruit training? Well, from where I came from in Hanover, uh, we were responsible for doing the whole thing. So we take civilian, no certifications whatsoever all the way up through the fire certifications and their EMT uh, basic. So that that's part of a, usually it's about a 16 week thing. Uh, it maybe 16, maybe 18. I think it fluctuates. Uh, at least the last time I was there, I retired a little bit, a year and a half ago. So, um, and then the, once they come out of recruit basic training, then they're into a one year probation where there are additional task books they have to complete. And then they also have to pass additional testing. So there's a, it, Probation historically, you know, back in the old days, it was kind of just hang out, don't screw up and make it through the year. Mm-hmm. And we were uh, we took that further. And, you know, now there's actually testing where your company is involved with a continuation of your basic training once you get assigned. So uh, and then they even go beyond that. We uh, recently right before I left, we had uh, created a paramedic academy. So once they were in the field for a little bit, they could actually, uh, you know, volunteer to be selected to go to this paramedic academy where it was. Uh, I want to say it was nine months of and wow. that's all you did. <laughs> and, you know, they just assign you to the paramedic program and, and you stay there for nine months and they spit you out a qualified uh, ALS provider. So um, that seemed to work on the first uh, test run. The pilot program went very well. So, uh, you know, I haven't talked to them lately, but I think that that still continues. And Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 outer shell fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit tenkatafabrics.com slash flex7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. And it's been an evolution for us. We also have to train volunteers, right? So we, we started out back in the uh, 80s and 90s as a mostly volunteer department and, and then became a large combination system kind of in a hurry. So uh, they still maintain that same volunteer training. We use the term tactical equality. We, the training programs are basically the same. The scheduling is different. So they the, the training academy, man, they're running... They close from about 11 o'clock at night to about, you know, five in the morning. So they're, they're running night, night programs and day programs, uh, sometimes simultaneously. So it's, uh, it's a busy operation for them, but it's been an interesting thing. I spent a lot of time out there, uh, as a young officer. So it was, it's been interesting to watch it grow. No, that's interesting. I, I like it. You know, it's interesting to hear the different perspectives of whether, well, like in St. Louis County, uh, you can come and get hired at certain departments with the Academy. Uh, some departments will send you to the fire academy in St. Louis County, but um, we're made up of 43 different fire districts, fire departments that, that all have one singular academy in St. Louis County. And so that academy being 13 weeks long, 
uh, doesn't offer an EMS program associated with it. So you have to come in with EMT or paramedic, or once you get out, go get an EMT or paramedic. Um, and so that, you know, that's a little bit different. Uh, but I, I will say, you know, we, we talk about the program now, obviously they're, they're required to know a whole lot more. Um, went to the Academy some 20 plus years ago and, it seemed like when I went through the academy and, and maybe just because I'm, you know, getting older and, and crabbier and grouchier or whatever, uh, it was a lot more stringent and strict um, in, in terms of the culture versus what it is now. And, and maybe that's just the fire service thing in general, but uh, maybe that parlays into what Chief Buchanan would like to talk about today. I don't know. But, uh, but you know, I, what I just, does? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would just say, you know, like, uh, you know, as we have our programs in house, you know, obviously, you know, Chief Shaw, you got Fort Lauderdale. Um, you guys have complete control over that program because it's 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 housed at Fort Lauderdale, correct? So, so you guys can do your own thing and, and train those people to just be a Fort Lauderdale firefighter. Um, you know, when they come on at Kirkwood here, we have a program in place that basically trains them into the culture of Kirkwood, the operations of Kirkwood, um, along with the St. Louis County stuff. But but they've but they got their foundation at that county academy. So a little different. If that, if that, I'm probably saying that wrong. If that makes any sense, um, and so I, I guess maybe I'd go around the horn again and just ask, like, we'll start with, with with Eddie. What you think? But where are we falling short in that level of training? If we are at all, maybe we aren't. Maybe maybe we're doing it excellent. But if there is, you know, one or two things, or you see something or a thought of, of things we could improve, maybe in that recruit training. I think, you know, I'd like to reverse engineer it, right? Like, so if you, if you got in a whiteboard and said, what are, what are all the key skills, qualities, behaviors that a solid new firefighter should possess? What should they, what should that look like? And kind of start listing out the things that you want in your newest recruits. Well, if, when you do that, it, it, what I have found mostly what happens is you list a lot of uh, traits, values, skills, but then when you go look, at your training program, you may not find those things to be the same. Like, you know, we, we want them to have a certain value set. We want them to be self-motivated and, and understand what it means to be a brother or sister firefighter. But yet they, when they're not coming out the other end, maybe they don't seem like they got it. Well, did you teach them that part? Like, did you actually have a discussion or a class formal training on the culture of the fire service and what it means to, to be a brother or sister? And, and we got that in the old days, at least from my experience, it was mostly the old guys squaring me away, you know, how to screw up. They would, they would quickly hold me accountable. Right. So uh, I don't know what happened over the last 30, 40 years, but that seems to have drifted a little bit uh, culturally. So um, we, we have to, we, I found for our department, we had to include that training in our recruit program. So if, if they're not coming out looking and acting like a brother or sister, then there's go back in the training curriculum and fix it, you know, and, and, and add those, that content to your program. Um, that's step the step one. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. And then now uh, we're starting to see even outside influences start to creep in. We'll, we'll come back to that, but uh, after we go around the horn on this one. But I, I think uh, one of the key factors that, that if our if our output is not what we want, I would usually go back and look at the ingredients to make sure that we have all the parts that we need to make the right stew. You know. 
No, I like that. I, you know, I think that cultural element is, is key. Um, I will give a, 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 sh- a good props to a, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's a captain in a neighboring department. Um, that's on the other side of the river, but uh, he was tasked with the new employee development part. And, and so, you know, it was a lot of what we've talked about already, which is, you know, tasks, can you pull a hose? Can you put your SCBA on? And, and you know, and his aspect of it was, was like, you know, you're working at this department. There's a rich history here. There's a lot to that, you know, it's to your point, an opportunity and privilege to work here, not just like, can you pull a hose? Um, and so he, he tasked one of his newer employees to really research the, the history of his department and, and that employee who had come from another department, uh, it took it on and took the challenge and, and excelled with it. And I had the opportunity to actually sit there and listen to him tell it. And it's like a 30 minute dissertation. This kid, I say kid, the guy's probably 25 years old, but, uh, he's got on that department, like down pat, like he knows like, Hey, when the first ladder truck was purchased, when it was put in service, where it's at now and, and you know, who the first chiefs were and, and who built the foundation. And that is told to every new employee during their orientation with the department to set the foundation of, Hey man, you're coming into a very rich history department. This is a huge opportunity and a privilege for you to work with us, not the other way around. So I think the culture aspect of it is pretty key. Uh, Jesse, any thoughts on that stuff as we, as we call, talk about it? Absolutely. I think the, uh, I think the first thing is to recognize that the times are a little bit different in terms of the, the quantity of people looking to get into this field Right. So uh, 20 years ago where there might have been 100 people testing for every one spot, that is not the case in our area. And I think that's the case in a lot of areas. So uh, we like to refer to this as, as tradition meets innovation. So take those things traditionally that, that carry a lot of value and significance in the fire service, whether that's a history of our department or the fire service at large, and then seek out ways to challenge whatever norms existed that, that maybe weren't um, necessarily for the the betterment of the organization it was more so just that's the way we've always done it kind of stuff so i i think the the concept of embracing that tradition meets innovation is important and i I joke and say like we got to look beyond maps and mops right so before we we get people on and and we would in some way shape or form encourage them to kind of live their life in like solitary confinement you're either going to study a map book or mop a floor somewhere but at the end of the day, how is that preaching or, or really like bringing a lot of the, the characteristics that Chief Buchanan talked about? How does it make him a good teammate? How do they get to see and aspire to be somebody that's part of the team? How is the team able to change or adapt their, their skill set to meet um, the, the new members? So I would say just being willing to try something different um, and to evaluate all components. That's really the, the key in today's fire service. Um, and, and meeting this modern mission of recruit training. No, I agree. I like that maps and maps. You know, it, it, we, we talk about it all the time. It's like, you know, we don't want these guys by themselves, you know, tucked away in their individual bunk rooms and not talking to anybody and being part of the team. But yet we sometimes think that's the expectation. Like, why aren't you doing anything? Well, what do you want me to do? Get a map, get a map. You know, it's like, you should be wiping something down until five o'clock. It's like, is that really necessary? What about Fort Lauderdale? I know it's blissful, perfect, amazing weather. <laughs> is, that what, is that the rumor out there? That's, um, that's, that's the rumor in the fire services. But, uh. Well, quite frankly, and, and again, I'm, I'm a big, obviously, I, I love my, where I work. I'm a very big pro Fort Lauderdale person in South Florida in general. But um, I, I love what Chief Buchanan said about reverse engineering. There, there's a lot to break down in that statement right there. And I, I, I was find myself kind of thinking about what that looked like in terms of assessing your one-year your five-year, your 10-year, 15, 20, and seeing what makes them tick 
and kind of using that as your advantage of going back to your, your day one person and saying, this is what it takes to get you to that long term, to be a 25, 30 year firefighter. So I just, I'm glad you started with that. Um, we, we do a very good job of making sure when they come in, we are absolutely intentionally, deliberately honest without every, with everything they're going to expect in our job. We tell them how busy they're going to be, how ridiculously busy they're going to be running all those calls, not only the engine, but most of the time on that rescue truck and South Florida rescue truck, the medical rescue truck, just to make sure I'm clear. Um, but we, we instill with them very early on a sense of culture. We want to make sure that they know that we want them involved. Yes, their first year is a lot of work. It's a lot of testing, assessments, all that jazz. Got it. But you're involved in a family. You're involved with a culture. We want you involved. We want you to go to the extracurricular activities. We want you involved in health and safety. We want you to bring your individual subject matter expertise with you. We want to listen to you. We want you to use your voice when appropriate. We want you to know why we do what we do. And we mentioned the mentorship program earlier. The mentorship, I don't even think it's possible to do this job today without a mentorship program. I truly, I'm, I'm at that point right now where if you're not taking an extra step to making sure you're hitting them at every angle, you're flanking them with information, you're making sure you're totally engrossing yourself what makes these new folk tick? You ain't going to get them in some way, shape, or form, whether they totally leave or they check out or, or they just don't get it. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. So it's exhausting. And this is another reason why it's so important to have the right people in the training bureau involved with the training, especially during that initial phase. There's so many factors working against us. Um, but they have to know what they're getting into as well. So we, we find, I've always found being blunt, honest with them is, is important. And what we found is, is during the course of, especially the first few weeks and I found the first year, that sometimes those individuals realize whether they find out themselves or we show them through evaluations and failed tests that maybe this isn't for them. A lot of people get emotional about that. I do not. If it's me, it's a matter if you can or can't. And if you can't, it's not a, a, a good or bad thing. It's just like, you just, you just, maybe this isn't for you. Maybe we helped you figure out that this wasn't for you. Maybe we helped you figure out that this department isn't your speed and you need to go somewhere else, but there's no emotional attachment. It's, it's a, the closing of a chapter. If someone doesn't make it or want to remain with us, that's fine. I don't get emotional about it. In fact, we probably just saved ourselves and that person from a 25 year investment they weren't ready for. So I, I think being very upfront, super upfront and totally honest and explaining the why of everything is critical for all these folks. You do that through training, you do that through the mentorship program, you do that through asking them to ask why. Our fire chief recently went to our, our last new hire group and went up, walked into the room and basically, you know, gave him, gave him, gave them his spiel about who he was and blah, 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 but then opened it up for questions. And it was really cool to see, at least the way he described it is once they had the permission to ask why, it was like the floodgates open. Why, why, why did we do this? What? And they just went crazy. And I think some people could look at that as, why are they asking so many questions? No, you want them to ask questions. You want them to dive ridiculously deep to figure out if this is what they want to do and then what else this job means other than getting a paycheck and running calls. What else is that? What does the culture look like here? 
you know, in Florida, we have one of those rich histories. We're over 100 years old. We're 112 years old. And, and we, that's not the most common thing in Florida because, you know, just it isn't. So we take that very seriously and very personally. But it, it, just kind of wrapping this up, um, it, it, it's just massively important to be absolutely open, honest, blunt with them, making sure they understand that you're you're explaining everything they have so they can make an informed decision if they want to stay and continue this career, whether it's 20, 25, 30 years or, or not. But and if they do want to take that step, making sure they understand, hey, listen, it's not just coming to work. It's being engaged. Engagement is a whole other conversation. What does that look like? Not only passing tests and stuff, but taking this seriously and incorporating all values of what we do as a, in the fire service and making it part of it. So I'm sorry I'm drifting here, but no. just, the, just the, 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 the why and being intentional and, and trying to make sure you're hitting every cylinder as best you can with a mentorship program, a strong initial training, and that, that first year is so hypercritical. No, I, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think it's, I think sometimes too, even when we get these, I think that first year is so critical for the foundation of really whether they're going to be successful or not in a 25 or 30 year career, because they got to understand it, it's a commitment, right? It's a commitment both on and off duty. Um, and it's, it, to your point, it's a cultural, you know, lifestyle, if you will, of, of being in the fire service. And I always, you know, I find myself sometimes taking and reminding, you know, I would say the 10 to 15 year employee, of that first year. And, you know, that first year, your son go, Oh, you were ready to take any class that was available. You were just, you were, you know, you just want to do everything. And now that 10 or 12 or 15 year employee that, Hey, I want to take officer one. Great. Um, you know, the two days we're going to take you on duty. The, the other three days you're off duty. Are you going to pay me? Are you going to send me? Are you, you know, and so that's a whole nother topic of conversation, I'm sure. But it's like, remember that first year when you were so happy to be in the job and you're so excited you'd have done anything on your day off to do this. And now you want compensation, you want time off you. If I don't buy you lunch while you're there, it's like, it's, it's a, it's a crime. Um, and I think sometimes, you know, to remind people like, Hey, don't forget where you came from type attitude is, is essential too. IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, resource one, and more. Our high quality, technically accurate and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. Um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, external forces. So <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the context that this. Yeah, that's what, so and that's the backstory was conversation here. So I'll let you. I heard a conversation that that uh, I had to go, you know, walk walk it off for a minute, you know, when I first heard it because. Uh, I was talking to a young fire officer who who let me know that um, in their department that the uh, the chief had recently put out a a directive, I guess, that you could no longer uh, raise your voice in the presence of recruits, and we had to uh, uh, treat the training process as if it was a college atmosphere, and that was the the rule coming down, you know. And uh, of course, this young officer had some concern about that. And, and rightfully so. And the, 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 the extra topping on that conversation was, I actually know the chief. I've known the chief for many years and he's a pretty hard hitting chief. You know, he's, he's was an, a very aggressive instructor uh, back in his day. And now he just happens to be the chief. And my comment to the uh, young officer was, that ain't your chief talking. You know, somebody's 
there's somebody over at HR or at admin someplace driving that because that's not that, that that's not something he would ever say. That that's an external uh, force reaching in and politically driving the training process, which that's when I had to go take a walk out in the parking lot to calm down. Right? You know, it's like this is this is this is crazy. So, and I think uh, like the message I would send the chiefs over that idea is like you know they're. In the my attitude class I teach, I, I go through a little section about values and I challenge the group with what would it take for you to quit? You know, what hill are you willing to die on? What does that hill look like? And, and you know, when, when do you just say, sorry, I can't do it. I, I refuse. I, I'm not going to. No, we're not doing that. You know, we're going to do it this way, not that way. Um, where is that point? Because we're starting to see that reach. I mean, from a chief's perspective, I'm used to seeing politics reach into operations. Uh, but I think somewhere there is a line where, uh, in my book, it's at the training academy. You, you might tell me how to, you know, how we are going to do a certain process, or you might even drive my staffing. But you can tell me how to train my recruits. You know, I don't, I don't know that that's a that that feels like to me a hill I would I would go to war on. So um, I wanted to have that discussion and and see what do we think about that, right? Like, what do where is that? line where where is that this, this is how we're, we're training people for basically a, a combat environment uh when we're talking about structural firefighting where you know it, you know when you're inside of a burning building i don't necessarily hold you to the same hr standard i might outside right if you, you might drop a, a some colorful uh phrases inside of a burning building and that's okay with me I, you know i get it right so how do we where do we find this balance how, how do we navigate this as a fire service All right, not everybody jump up at once. <laughs> I'll, I'll go with that. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, you're you're doing some stuff uh, training wise on this stuff. We'll talk about later. Yeah, we're fortunate. And I, I feel like one of the things that's evolved over time is also our our HR department and understanding that um, the human resources in general have have changed and continue to change. So, with that being said, um, the relationship we have with our our new hire process and our HR department is we both understand what we're looking for. And that is the concept of hiring for character and training for skill. Um, so we're looking for somebody who's a good person first and foremost, because it's a lot easier to train a good person, how to use a, you know, an impact driver than it is to teach somebody who's not a super good person, uh, but knows how to use an impact driver to be a good person. Um, so we really are focused on that. And uh, we really try to emphasize the respect factor. Um, so we, we try to push respect at all levels and um, understand that expectations are a two-way street. So our, our HR department has been a, a really big champion of a lot of the things that we've tried to accomplish organizationally. And I, I do feel like that's really helped us um, to remain focused on, on what we believe truly what, what that what the needs of the, the new hire are versus what we believe to be an arbitrary need of a generation if that makes sense. So I don't disagree. I guess my question is, is, and maybe, maybe Eddie's talked about this, but you know, so when I went to the Academy, you know, this was 20 plus years ago, it was, it, there was, there was nothing that said I wasn't going to get yelled at, screamed at in my face. I didn't do it right. And, and I do agree with, with, with what she can't saying is it, you don't, I, I I don't see that anymore. And maybe we don't need to see it anymore. Uh, maybe that's, maybe that's an old way of doing things, but 
I don't know. I mean, it, you know, when, when, you know, when you, ha- when you're dealing with life and death situations and somebody, you know, screws up, is it a, Hey, let's try to do better next time. Or is it a, what the heck was going on? You know, one of those, you know, I don't know. I mean, I get the actually a really funny video. I have a funny video that we made regarding this exact scenario at our station while we had some uh, new folks on probation and it was, it was playing into this concept. And I, I think that's where sometimes we can overcorrect, whether it's as a, as a society or, or just in general um, in the fire service. I, I think we want to be careful that we don't overcorrect. Um, and now we try to make things so PC, so calm that we're not gearing people towards really ultimately what they're going to end up um, being called to do in a very chaotic environment. So I, I think the general concept is, we need to make sure we're not overcorrecting one way or another um, because it is such a dynamic environment. And I, yeah, I don't want to say I'm advocating for yelling at somebody. I, I'm not saying that at all. I'm just, you know, is there a time that a voice would be raised? I don't Steve, what do you we, think? Or right, Eddie, go ahead. Yeah. Well, Steve's got the slingshot pulled back. Let him go. Oh, <laughs> he's ready. He's rocking. No, I, I, and I love these conversations because they, they tend to bring back memories and it hit certain nerves over the course of, of the span of, of our careers. And um, I remember, based on Chief Buchanan's story, kind of just the, the, the feeling of support or not support, depending on who we're talking about. I can remember years ago when the training bureau would do the right thing and let's say assessing. Well, actually, let me, let me break, that, break this down into two parts. Change is something we can talk about all day. You know, it's the whole thing that we like it and we don't like it. Remember, one of the first things I did when I became training chief was I reinstituted PT. I, I just wanted to do PT again. And man, the flack I got for that, I mean, geez, I just wanted them to be, I just wanted them to, to be, you know, more athletically ready for this job. And I got so much flack for that. And it turns out, you know, that's just the norm. You, you institute some sort of change, you're going to get flack from somewhere, somehow, some person, whatever. But we knew it was the right thing to do. We knew we we're doing it not just to punish, but we were doing it the right way. We were PTing with them. So it was, it was, we're not going to ask you to do anything we are not ourselves doing. We're, we're proving a point there. Anyway, what was frustrating years ago is uh, I remember bringing, let's say, a, a firefighter that wasn't making the cut. And we knew that they weren't making the cut. Chief, hey, listen, here's here's the, the person. We don't think they're going to make it. The support or, or lack of support you get from that, that could be detrimental too. In other words, if the training bureau puts their stamp on somebody or lack thereof, what are the results afterwards? So having that support, whether it's from HR or the, the fire service is important. I know that through the course of the years, we benefit now by having a very understanding, very uh, very cognizant uh, administrative staff that when we bring somebody, something of a concern to our fire chief or the HR, they go, okay, we understand and support you. That that feels so good to have that. So we benefit from it right now. But that we understand that this is the fire service in different places. They can be going through peaks and troughs of that. But without that, that that ultimate support on top, that's very frustrating to say the least by not having that support. Being in charge or being with your HR department and really understanding, making sure they understand what you're doing, why you're doing it, and so on and so forth is massively too. And it works both ways. We know we're doing the right thing by training our people a certain way and assessing them a certain way. They are bean counters, they are metrics, they are data analysts, and that's great. So having that to support a mechanism in terms of the rating sheets, the scoring standards, the, the standard, and then what they scored against the standard is becoming massively important too. Because they, in order to have, want to justify what you're bringing to them, they need something with teeth as well. 
So those are the things I thought of when we talk about what, what Chief Buchanan started with, um, in terms of the support and whether it's there or not. Um, and I don't know if I drifted, but that was kind of what came up first. I know you wanted to say something afterwards, but that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Well, the, the, there are two things I think that are important that we've kind of narrated in on. Uh, the first, uh, I call it instructor intensity. Uh, we're, we're working on a train officer's handbook for fire engineering, little plug, uh, coming out hopefully very soon. Should be by FDIC, I think. Um, where we talk about instructor intensity and we, we, you know, where is that throttle? Like, how should that instructor behave? And our baseline we talk about is you want to model the behavior you want to see in the street. So when your firefighters are out in the street, you want your instructors to emulate that. You know, this is the behavior. This is how we carry ourselves. This is how we interact with you, with the recruit, and the public. But there are times when I would raise my intensity based on a tactical intention, right? Like we're we're doing a skill or we're, you know, we're, we're trying to raise stress or, or, you know, make things move a little quicker. We can raise our voice in those situations to do that because that's what's necessary. That's going to be the reality you're going to work in. You know, when you're out in the street. So uh, that that's the first thing. We And we, you know, you would have to monitor and train your instructors. Your instructor uh, cadre has to be uh, well versed in what those expectations are and, and, and what the boundaries are. And then the other important thing I think that we've hit on is the relationship with human resources. That that has to be from a from the particularly the whoever the executive chief might be uh, over the training division is to ensure that HR is very much a part of the disciplinary or punishment process, whatever you want to call it, as they go through, uh, you know, an unfortunate behavior. Maybe they're not performing to a certain standard or, or whatever that case might be. Um, we continue to treat them with that same respect as we would as, as anybody. But the documentation is tight and HR is uh, familiar with the process. They shouldn't be learning about this after the fact. They should be part of the process in its uh, inception and development. And I've seen that. I saw that with Hanover. Um, you know, I always thought that if you wanted to be, if you were a smart lieutenant that wanted to, uh, or, a, you know, maybe an instructor looking to be an officer, the best place you can go is training because you were going to get an HR crash course, right? It's, it's like accelerated human resources training because you're dealing with a performance and behavioral issues almost every day. And documentation, you learn how to document like, you know, like nobody else in the fire department would. And, uh, and you get to interact with HR and see that process usually through some sort of a conclusion. So it's a great place to be if you're a young officer. But uh, that relationship is important with human resources. And uh, th that's something we have that has to be an ongoing thing, you know, that that they're constantly involved. And that's how you get the support you're talking about is because they're familiar with your process and they have trust in it. Um, I hopefully that would also maybe be a preventative measure from this. But this case I was talking about before where maybe they, they clearly don't know what the heck is involved in firefighter training is my impression of, of their direction. So let me ask this round to everybody here. The people that are doing the recruit training at your organizations, are they assigned, are they selected, or are they, are they able to volunteer to do that? Because maybe that makes it, I think that makes a difference, right? So like all of our academy instructors are all members of organizations that volunteer obviously get paid to teach up there at the academy but i've also heard of situations where you know hey you're detailed to the academy for the next 12 weeks from your department and larger cities um and maybe they don't they don't that's not a desirable position because they're going from the shift to the 40 hours 
And so, you know, are we, does that affect the, the foundation for success for that new employee in that recruit training? Just, do you want to take that first? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, we're a small suburban organization. So you're looking at the training department, right? <laughs> right here. One man band. Um, so what we do is we, we try to get those, those mentors working with our new hires while they're in that coaching phase. So the mentors are the ones that are, that are helping facilitate those lessons and working side by side and they're building their credibility with the, with the new hire while the new hire is building their credibility with them. So um, our mentors go through a, a formal selection process it's a posting that's available to the entire department um, through the non-officer positions. And then they, they go through this process and then uh, we pair them deliberately based on a number of things with those people. But that entire mentor pool has the ability to volunteer um, or sign up to assist with the, the training during that initial uh, 40 hour phase. What are you guys doing in Florida? We, so it's interesting. It depends on what department you go to. I know that in some larger departments in our area, it's actually a bid position. So you can bid into, like through seniority, into a training spot on days. And that's interesting. I look at that and my first default setting is I don't like that. I, I want to be able to have a lot more choice in who comes to training. That's my personal preference based on experience. But that being said, it's a challenge because, and that is the question of the day, by the way. How do I get more people to come to a day shift, whether temporarily or long-term? That is the question of the day, everybody. That is the question I am, I am losing sleep over these days. Uh, case in point, you come into, for a cadet class, yes, you're leaving the wonderful world of operations. You're 24 on, 48 off, and you're coming to a day shift, and you are working. You are getting your butt kicked as much as you're kicking the butts of the new recruits. There's a lot of value there. My God, there's a lot of value. Those people that are in there are just... They're great people. They're hard workers. They're, they're really setting the standard. They're showing the people what the culture is, yes, but it comes at a cost. They're they're losing their time that they normally would have. They're maybe not getting the vacation days they once were. They have to be there. They can't take the time off because it's a cadet class. They, 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 they sacrifice. So how do you balance that? How do you balance the sacrifice they're giving you by putting all their intensity into these however many weeks it is what are the what's the what's it what's the worth what's the result is it a pay increase is it a take-home car is it what does it look like and that's the challenge we're dealing with right now because of that stress that's put on them um and, and that's that's where my mind lies these days because you want the right people in there you you need the right people in there it can't just be flip a coin okay let that go no 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 no, no. There, there's a lot that goes into this it's a sacred position it really is a sacred position but like I said, it comes with that, that stress of changing your life for a short period of time. I mean, we don't get this job to take a Monday through Friday. We don't come into this field going, hey, you know, I would love to be on days. No, you don't. No, 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 we don't. But trying to make it, try, again, going back to the why, going back to the, the providing the why they're doing things. At the end of every class we have, they do see the result. They do see the, the power that they had over that, that time, the product that's produced. The person that's going into the field and, and and performing the way they trained them, I and that's such a rewarding feeling. But it's a challenge, man. I I'm glad that we were able to more hand select people for the position or for that role. But we're also very inclusive. We make sure we can we include things like the right training, the right diversity metrics, and those kind of things. 
Uh, but at the end of the day, we want the right people in there that are going to show them our culture. But yes, that is the question of the day. How do I get people to come to days? That is where even when we leave here today, I will continue to be thinking about that and trying to think of innovative ways to keep building that idea. <laughs> no, that's a whole other whole other talk show, you know, to talk about that because I think nationwide the fire service is facing that. I mean, people are not wanting to leave shifts. You're seeing that across the board of you know, from whether it's a, you know, a financial impact or a lifestyle impact or to your point, I mean, you're just, you, you, you work, 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 and, and the work-life balance falls out of place. And yeah. And, and, you know, to the point too, like we're talking, you know, not to get off the topic too much, but like everybody gets treated the same, whether you're a high performer at the training tower or, or not, everybody's getting that same proverbial raise because we have to, you know, we feel like we have to, like, and can we not have to do some of those things sometimes could, because, you know, I don't know, just thinking outside the box. But anyway, if you look at it like a business, not everybody gets the same. Not, not everybody gets a lollipop in today's world. So, Eddie, what about you guys? Yeah, out by us, um, at least with, with the department I was with, we were we were assigning the lead instructor uh, on a – he was detailed on a, you know, 40-hour shift, right? So they, they get assigned to training uh, and would typically stay there. Uh, one of the co-authors on the book I wrote with, a guy named Bobby Drake, uh, he's a battalion chief now. He, uh, I was talking to him the other day. He had trained when he looked at the staffing board. He was the lead instructor on almost half, or maybe even more than half, of the of the department at that time. Mm-hmm. Like he had had such a broad impact uh, of influencing the culture of the, of the department. Just him, because he was the lead instructor of all those classes. And then what they'll typically do is is the lead instructor is is the kind of the he owns the class. Uh, but they'll bring in uh, subject matter experts for topics, right? So you're going to have, you know, somebody come in and do uh, fire dynamics. You have somebody come in and do truck, you know, the, it, all the various topics. Usually the best from the field are coming in to do those those classes. So you have that consistent parent, you know, who's always there to watch the shop. And then they're bringing in people, even outside of the department in some cases, um, to, to, to put the best instructor with, the, you know, with the right topic in front of that class as much as you can so it's uh yeah but it you know it's it is a hand-picked thing uh i'm thinking i guess the anniversary for uh, brad clark we lost him in a line of duty a few years ago and that anniversary is next week so i'm thinking about it i guess but um, i remember um assigning him to the training academy he was you know up and coming you know i don't know if he'd been promoted lieutenant yet or we consider for considering him in the promotional process and he's a character. I mean, he was hilarious, man. He was one of the funniest guys you ever would hang, hang out with. And I remember uh, meeting with him one-on-one. I, I, I told him, I said, this could either go really well or really bad. <laughs> you know, it's going to be a chance for you to really show what you've got. Like, you, you're going to be tested in ways you've never thought of. And, and your ability as an officer will, will be apparent. You can't hide a training. So, uh, and we ended up putting him in that, in that spot. And, you know, he had a tremendous impact on those students. He, he was he was great because he had that personality and that uh, ability to be in front of a classroom and keep you engaged, but yet brought the technical aspects to it as well. So it's a, you know, I, I could see where some people might be, well, I don't want to do that, but why would you not? If, you, if you're really into the job and, and you're looking to uh, particularly be promoted in, into the next thing, whatever that is, uh, training's a place to be because you're going to have the access to information. You're going to have uh, the ability to show what you can do and, uh, and the opportunity to do it. So it's, mm-hmm. that's in my brain. That's the only place to go, you know, 
that, that's a that's a first stop in the promotional process in my brain. No, I, I a couple things to the, just to dovetail on what you said. I completely agree. Training's where it's at. You know, the lead instructor idea. When back when I was at the academy, when I was on shift and we were you know doing our days off type thing, that's how it was was going. We had those leads and you had those groups that taught everything the same. And I don't know if they still do or not. Maybe they do. But you could definitely feel that cadre mesh and it definitely had an influence on that class. And so that was that was critically important. And, and to the point of training where it's at, you know, I, I think to myself, like, you know, I was at the academy that really set me up for a, a, a solid foundation as a company officer because it really regrounded you into those basic skills and basic basic sets of what you do every day. Uh, and you're working with the people that on your days off or it, you're in your 40 hours, whatever it is that you're going to face when you get back on the job. You know, so you're, you're, you're networking, whether it's outside your department, inside your department, you know, if, if, you know, if I'm, if I'm ever lucky enough to work in Fort Lauderdale with Chief Shaw and he signs me to the Academy, maybe one day that'll happen. I can get a nice job down there with him. Um, but, you know, and then, you know, if I do that, I, I'm with other instructors, right. At Fort Lauderdale that are top notch, that are at the top of their game in terms of instruction that are in tune with the fire service. And then, you know, say there's 10 of us, those 10 leave and go out to the company level. Now I got a network of 10 guys that are top notch that are conducting training and, and operating at the highest level, right. And leading at the high level, you know, functioning. And so, you know, it, whether it's like that, or like I said, St. Louis County, you know, I'm up there with, with guys and, and gals from other departments, top of the level, top of the instructional heap. Um, that's building that network again. And, you know, not a, a, a shameless plug for ISFSI, but that's one of the, the biggest benefits I think the ISFSI has is, you know, all of us on this call right now are members of, of that. And so, you know, that network to be able to reach across, you know, today and, and be able to pick up from anywhere from Michigan to Virginia to, you know, South Florida and get a perspective, you know, uh, before the show, I was asking, you know, which you saw about a, a saw blade and, and that network only exists because of our interactions through training. And so, you know, that, that you cannot discount that at all. So, um, you know, you know, it goes both ways, Brian, too. I, I was accused when I was a training chief of having a list of people that weren't allowed to teach. You know, I said, you got this list and I'm what, you know, if you get on the list, you can't. But yeah, you're yeah. right. Exactly. <laughs> I do have a list. You don't want to be on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's good, though, right? Like you don't want like training is, is to, you know, to what, you know, Chief Shaw was saying is like training is so critically important that we can't screw it up. We can't, right. we can't afford to have that bad apple or that or that or that bad egg in there. It's that important. And if you're that bad apple or bad egg, whatever, then guess what? You're on the list and you're not going to be there. We're not going to afford you that opportunity. Sorry. Right. There's other places maybe we can put you, but it's not going to be the training grounds. And that, that's, that's huge. All right. We're hitting about the 50 minute marks. So we've got about 10 minutes left. Uh, I want to give Jesse a quick second to give a shout out. Jesse is going to be teaching actually on this topic at FDIC on recruit training. So maybe give us a quick, uh, quick overview of your class and, and that sort of stuff. Shameless plug for you. Sure. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so the, the class that I'll be teaching at FDIC in 2024 is uh, probationary firefighter training programs, setting and raising the bar. And the idea there is, is how do we uh, embed that continuous improvement into the what we believe to be the well, what I believe to be the highest common denominator in the fire service. It doesn't matter what you retire as in terms of your rank or position. We've all started the same way. Um, we've all been through some sort of recruit training. Today's firefighters, I feel like with the fire service being portable are going through 
two recruit trainings, three recruit trainings, because they're going around from department to department until they find whatever they're looking for. Um, and I, the, the general gist of the class is what are those best practices to, that best meet the mission of today's fire service. So um, whether it's developing a task book or how you set up a 40 hour recruit period um, or how to implement a mentoring and coaching program, it's, it really covers a lot of ground in, in 90 minutes or so. And um, this is a program that has developed with, with some really uh, high achieving younger members of our organization who wanted to share their experiences while they were on probation and also their experiences serving as a mentor um, in that probationary program. So it should be a lot of fun. And uh, should be pretty fast paced because it's a lot to talk about in a relatively short amount of time. That's awesome. That's awesome. Definitely one to check out at FDIC in 24. So, and all these other guys will be there. Uh, I'm sure Eddie and uh, Shaw will be there with their classes like they always have. Uh, they're FDIC staples. So that's, that's good to see. Good to see them back. And, and the program is going to be a little different next year, which will be exciting and uh, some different changes. So uh, looking forward to seeing everybody there. As we wrap up, we'll get final thoughts on you guys related to recruit training and, and, and the probationary periods and those sort of things. And uh, Steve, we'll start with you down in Florida. What you got? So, yeah, my last thoughts were this. And, and first of all, I hope my class is not the same, same schedule as Jesse because right. that's such a hot topic right now <laughs> that his class is going to be full and mine's going to be empty. So whoever's <laughs> listening, please interspace. Try to balance. Try to balance. <laughs> um, but on a serious note, uh, the last thing that we were talking about in terms of, of those instructors going back, I think, Brian, and, and you were talking about like those instructors that were part of training going back into the field. And there's a lot of value there. Uh, and the, it, it made me think of two things. One, you have to make sure that whatever the training content is in your training academy, whether it's a cadet program or probation or whatever you want to call it, it has to be matching what's done in the field. You don't want to be in one of those situations where the people in the field go, okay, well, you were taught this in training, but let me show you how we're doing it in the field. That it, The more aligned those are, the better. And the advantage of having so many people in the training area around that time that go back into the field is you have those people with that hands-on experience. Counter to that, having your crews, having the crews come in, whether on duty, assisting, supporting, to see what is being done, they, they, that's so critical to make sure they see exactly what's being taught to all these folk in terms of not only the tactics, but the culture, the expectations, the attention to detail, the intensity. They need to see that as well so they can bring it back. Because you know how we are in the fire service. We're going to talk. You want that in a positive way. So those guys leaving, going back to the firehouse, you want them to go out and talk about what you did. Um, and the last thing I'll say is it, you, your, your program has to be, like I mentioned, it has to be not only what you're doing in the field, but it has to be validated. It has to be strong. It has to represent what you guys do. And, and, and it can't be, I know we talked about that a little bit, but it can't be said enough. It has to be just a robust program. You have to make sure that whatever you're teaching in the cadet school, the people out there in the field know it. Either they've seen it, they have a video link to it, they have a step-by-step -step exactly how you're going to test them. It can't be a secret. Hey, we got this guy, now we're going to test them. And they have to know exactly what they're preparing them for so that they're, they're evaluated the right way. And I think that that goes back to communication. If you're communicating to the field with, hey, this is exactly what we taught. This is our exact expectations. Here you go. We know you're great. Support them, train them, get ready for testing. You're going to have that good balance of great communication. And great communication is how we start things like trust and, and all that jazz. So that's just the last thoughts I was thinking of. This is, I'm glad we talked about this. This is definitely an important topic. And um, it, it's part of that recruitment retention issue, retention issue that all of us are having so much of a problem with. But this is this is where it starts. So. Absolutely. 
I've heard it, you know, typical of these conversations is, you know, you write down notes as we go. It's just like, you know, I, I get so much from these, from, from just listening to you guys and the wealth of knowledge that you guys, yeah, exactly. You know, I got the like, jolts and everything down here. It's like crazy. Jesse, final thoughts. Yeah. You know, obviously recruitment and retention becomes a big part of this and to throw another word out there, um, responsibility. And I think that's what we're talking about in a lot of ways as well. So we have a responsibility as an organization to make sure we're preparing our, our current members and our future members to the highest possible level. Um, so whether you're the, the training officer, training chief, the, one of the instructors at the academy, or the new person um, who's coming into that organization, we all have a responsibility to do what is right and what is best. And uh, the last thing we want to do organizationally is plant a good seed in bad soil. Um, so I, I think the idea that this is a two-way street and those expectations go both ways, obviously we're always going to have high expectations of those new members joining our organizations. But I think it's important to understand that those new members are gonna have high expectations of our organization as well. So um, one thing that we really preach really on day one, all the way through, you know, like hopefully year 25 or 35 or however long somebody stays here is over that time, develop your IAP. So initiative attitude performance. Um, and that's, it's kind of in that order. We want people to be, to show initiative, to raise their hand, to be involved, to have a good attitude, open-minded. Um, and then the, the performance part is kind of trusting the process. And we, uh, we expect that of our newest members. And uh, we also expect that out of the people that we have interacting with them. So uh, that's a big part of, of that responsibility is making sure we maintain the same, you know, uh, in high initiative and, and positive attitude. Ultimately, that performance um, will come with time if we trust the process. And if it, if it doesn't, then there should be that mechanism um, that we alluded to earlier. Um, having respect for the system and maintaining the integrity of the system. But overall, um, I'd say that IAP is a pretty important piece. I like it. Chief Buchanan. I'll cap it off with a conversation I had one day when I was uh, frustrated with my training process, right? I was sitting in an airport bar, as you do sometimes, <laughs> and uh, sitting next to me was sat down a uh, drill instructor from the Marine Corps. We just started talking at the bar, you know, I'm like, hey, you're in the military. Yeah, it's the Marine Corps. What do you do? I'm a DI. Okay. And we start talking training. And I was expressing my frustration with what we were dealing with, generational issues. You know, these recruits don't seem to, you know, all the things we say, right? They're, there's, They don't seem to have the same thing. And uh, so what are you what are you doing about it? How, how is the Corps addressing this, these generational changes? And I'll never forget what he says. He, he says, if you have the courage to stand on my yellow footprints, then I have the obligation to do everything in my power to make you a United States Marine. And he said it with such passion and clarity that I, it, I was like, all right, damn, you know, it's like, let me write that down. So, uh, and it changed my uh, perspective a lot, right? Like if you've got the courage to stand there and, and, and come in and want to be a firefighter, then I have the obligation to do everything I can do to, to help you be successful. Now I have a responsibility to my other brothers and sisters to make sure you meet the standard, right? And I, I can do that with, with, uh, with, and treat you like a human in the process with great respect, but I will also show you the door if you don't meet the standard. And I'll thank you for attending, but I'm gonna show you the door. So I think that's an important thing to remember for instructors, you know, and I think we have to be mindful that uh, if we don't maintain the relationships externally around our training systems, uh, they may creep in and cause us some, some problems. So it's not only just the training process that we have to be really good at, it's also maintaining the support systems that's, that's around us to make sure they are ready to support our, our decisions and our methodology 
to make a quality brother or sister firefighter. That's one of the, that's an important thing to take away. That's all I got. Thank you. Oh, excellent. Definitely moving words. I would end on this, you know, training is a, uh, a privilege and an opportunity on both sides, you know, as a, uh, as a recruit coming in, you have the uh, opportunity to embark on a incredible career as a fire service professional. And you have a privilege to be part of an incredible brother and sisterhood. That's uh, like no other, the same holds true on the instructor side. You know, you have a privilege and opportunity, you know, a privilege to be able to instruct and teach and show the ways to this new recruit, but you also have the, uh, the opportunity to either set them up for success or bring downfall to them with your attitude, you know, and, and your passion for the job or their lack of. So neither one can be taken lightly on either side of the coin. So uh, definitely as always, gentlemen, it's always great seeing you guys talking with you guys. I, you know, every time I leave this, I realize just how dumb I am <laughs> because I'm sitting next to some of the, some smartest guys in the fire service. And I'm just like, wow, I really need to step my game up because I am not even near where you guys are at. So, uh, thanks. But uh, once again, you know, ISFSI, we're, we're, you know, excited to be back on the Hump to Hangout this month. So um, thanks for joining us this month. Thanks to Clarion and Fire Engineering for uh, allowing us this opportunity to discuss all things recruit training. Uh, make sure you get out there to FDIC, check it out. Uh, if you got thoughts and ideas in terms of the fire service, jot them down, write them down, write an article. Uh, make sure you guys are submitting, you're submitting your stuff. Uh, that's what makes this uh, fire service great is getting everybody's perspective. So uh, make sure you're writing your articles out and submitting them in. So, all right, everybody have a great safe day and uh, thanks again. Take care. I appreciate you. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years. Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by enforced technology. Only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, resource one, and more. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information.